How powerful are these seven I am statements of Jesus? You know, on Thursday night, about 1,987 Easter's ago or Passover's ago, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And about 400 mob came for him, John's gospel tells us. And as they walked there into the dark, into the garden, with torches and weapons and malice of intent, they came upon him. And Jesus said, who is it that you seek? And they said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. How powerful are the I am's of Jesus? Because when he said, I am, 400 of the mob fell over backwards on the ground like some tsunami had just come through there and knocked them off their feet and laid them flat out when Jesus said, I am. And so we're talking about these I am's of Jesus. You know, Moses stood before God and he said, who will I say sent me? And he said, tell them I am. But it was kind of like Moses' revelation of God was, I am that I am. And that's like, okay, okay. But Jesus came to bring us the revelation of the Father. And Jesus took the I am's and he began to lay them out for us. And we see there in the, book of, in the Gospel of John these beautiful I am's. And literally the last I am that we read about was just days before his death. He's standing in front of Lazarus' tomb. Lazarus is dead. Martha's weeping. Hours, hours from that time, Jesus will go to the cross. And he stands there and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so I'm going to take a few minutes to talk about the seventh I am of Jesus on this Easter Sunday morning. By the way, good to be home. We'll talk about it more next week. You know, that first century church, that first generation church, that motley crew, that handful of believers, they had one apologetic. There was one apologetic for the first generation church. What do I mean by apologetic? I don't mean I'm sorry. I mean the reason why. We have Christian apologetics, which explain why we believe what we believe. So I don't mean the apologetic like, oh, I'm sorry for believing. No, it's the reason I believe. That's what the apologetic is. It's the reason I believe. And those first generation Christians had one apologetic, just one. And it was that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. That was it. That was their apologetic. And that they were witnesses to it and of it. The resurrection of Christ was the single, the solid apologetic that birthed the church of Jesus in a time of madness and mayhem. They were oppressed and they were opposed. 
by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Caesars. But they stood with one apologetic. They were captured and they were killed. But they held fast the one apologetic. They were persecuted and they were executed by the temple and by the empire. That first church, those first Christians lived between the persecution of the temple in Jerusalem and the empire in Rome. And they died holding on to one apologetic that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And you know, it's important for us to understand that our brothers and sisters in that first century and even in the second century and even into the third century, we have to know that they did not die standing on Bible verses. Because there was not even a Bible as we know it to stand on until 3 AD, the Nicene Creed put together the epistles of Paul and, and the documents of the, of the Gospels, which had always been circulating. And it wasn't until about 300 years that they had a Bible to stand on. So they did not die standing and quoting verses like the later generation Christians would do. They died holding on to this apologetic that Jesus Christ is alive. They died because they would not deny what they had seen with their own eyes, what they had handled with their own hands. The scars, they, they, he, the day Jesus rose, that Easter Sunday, those years ago, 1,987 years ago, something like that Easter, that day alone, he appeared three times. He appears to Mary Magdalene. He appears to the boys walking down to the Emmaus Road. And that evening, he appears to the disciples there in the room. But Thomas wasn't in that room. That was the first day. And for 40 days, Jesus is there with him. They speak with him. He speaks with him. He teaches him. The boys on the road to Emmaus, he opens the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and shows himself throughout the entire Old Covenant. On that day of Pentecost, which was now 10 days after Jesus ascends, so Jesus has been on the earth for 40 days. They've eaten with him. They've held him. They've clinged to him. Then they go up to the Mount of Olives, and there they watch him ascend into heaven. 10 days later is Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit falls. And the people come running. What is this? Out in the streets, this was just crazy. What was going on? These Christians had been in this prayer meeting and the Holy Ghost and flames and languages and tongues and it was just insane what was happening. And Peter stands up and preaches the first post-resurrection sermon in the New Testament. And he says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 32, because this is it, friend. This is it, family. This is it. He says this, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Full stop. Take it where you will. Take me, do with me what you will, but this is it. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. And he goes on to preach. And now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. 
Peter preaches, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And we know on that very day, because of the witness of the witnesses, like 3,000 people right there said, what do we do? What do we do? How do we respond to this? What must we do to be saved? And this message began to spread throughout Jerusalem, and multitudes began to believe, and they got arrested. They got arrested. We read in Acts chapter 5, verse 17, the high priest and his officials who were Sadducees, they were filled with jealousy. They were just jealous of all these Jews believing that Jesus was alive. They were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, brought them out. And then he tells them this, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told. How many know when an angel tells you to do that, you do that. And immediately they began teaching. So now, when the high priest and his officials arrived, can you see them? They got the coffee, you know, they got their Starbucks or whatever, and they got their hot cross buns. Maybe not hot cross buns. <laughs> and they're, you know, they arrive, they're, they're, you know, because these guys, they're getting ready to, to, to have the big council. When the high priest and his officials arrive, they finally convene the high council, two or three cuppas, full assembly with all the elders of Israel. And now they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were just gone. They were just gone. And so they returned to the council and reported the jail was securely locked with guards standing outside. But when we opened the gates, no one was there. And when the captain of the temple guard and the leading priests heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it all would end. That's right, baby. You just keep wondering because you have no idea where this is going to end. And then someone arrives with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. So the captain went with his temple guards, arrested the apostles without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. Uh, duh. But Peter and the apostles replied with the only apologetic they had. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human authority. Now, wait for it. And this fisherman, awkward, big mouth, denier, defier, this 
fisherman looks at the council of elders in the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees, and he says, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Another translation says, after you murdered him, hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. And he did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. And when they heard this, the high council was furious and they decided to kill them. Imagine that sermon that day. I'd have given that offering. What a powerful sermon. But it was, a, it was just like there's just one point to the sermon. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are witnesses. We are witnesses. The first century followers of Christ had one apologetic, that Jesus had risen from the dead. And they did three things. They preached his resurrection. They practiced his instruction. And they performed his compassion. That's what they did. They preached his resurrection. They practiced his instruction. And they performed his compassion. While God raised up Jesus, who was left to die by the Jews, they raised up babies who were left to die by exposure. Roman history teaches us that it was traditional for a newborn baby to be brought to the pater familias, in other words, the family patriarch, who would then decide whether the child was to be kept and raised and loved or left to die by exposure. Exposure. This was a common practice thousands and thousands and thousands of times over, the practice of exposure. The 12 tables of Roman law obliged that patriarch, obliged him to put to death a child that was visibly deformed or to put to death a child that was not of the gender that the parents wanted or to put to death a child that maybe was conceived in questionable circumstances while the Roman soldier was off at war or for any other reason, the common practice of exposure Thousands of babies left to die on streets, left to die on paths into the bush, left to die on sidewalks, or what would be the equivalent today. But the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, who preached his resurrection, picked up those babies. They carried those babies, they raised those babies, they loved those babies. They didn't petition the government. They picked up the babies. People think that Jesus came. They were thinking that Jesus had come to destroy Caesar. Jesus did not come to destroy Caesar. Jesus came to destroy Satan. But 300 years 
of those followers of Christ picking up thousands and thousands of children and babies from the street within 300 years of their example, putting a conscience in the people within 300 years, exposure of infants became a crime punishable by capital offense. And 300 years of doing that, and all of a sudden, Christianity becomes the official religion of Rome. According to New Testament scholar Larry Hutado, he says that probably by the first century, by 100 AD, he says there were 10,000 totally committed followers of Christ probably at that time. Now, I read this in a book by Dr. Michael Brown, and I went online to look it up. Dr. Brown and I both think that number is way too low. We think it's higher than that, but let's just go with him for a moment this morning. He says there were about 10,000 Christians by 100 AD. That would mean that with a possible, uh, it's, it's controversial what the population was at 100 AD, anywhere from 150 to 300 million people. Let's just take 250 million people. What that means is that for every follower of Christ that was on the planet, there were two and a half thousand people that weren't. But by the third and the fourth generation, so by the time we get to 200 A.D., 100 years later, there's now about 200,000 followers of Christ, or one follower of Christ for every 1,250 who are not. But by the time we get to the seventh generation, in 300 A.D., there's six million followers of Christ, or one for every 42 people on the planet who don't know Jesus. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. From that first generation Christian church, we are now the 50th generation. We are 50 generations from that resurrection Sunday. And three years ago, the Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon Cornwall Theological University reported that the number of Christians three years ago on this planet is 2.5 billion. Today, one in three. One in three. One in three. Now, whether or not they're Christians like we, you know, that would cover every kind of possibility, but the point is there are one in three people today, not one in 2,500 like there was in the first day, who would call themselves Christian, who would lean in to Christianity, who would have a, a, a sincere, positive thought about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One in three. What do you think it'll be in the next 10 years? Because the gospel and Christianity, in spite of governments, in spite of morons and monarchs, in spite of every demonic and devilish and stupid thing that can happen in the earth. Do you think that's phasing Jesus right now? Do you think this is the mayhem in the earth is phasing him right now? You and I will see in not just too many years, one in two. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And to this very day, his resurrection 
is our greatest apologetic and his compassion is our greatest credential. Not judgment. Compassion. Not judging, as it were, why babies are left on the street. Just picking them up and loving them. Whether we can do anything about it politically or not, doesn't matter. Can't stop this. You can't touch this. You can't stop this. I felt a little MC Hammer. <laughs> Does anybody remember who MC Hammer? <laughs> Ooh, if I could do it, I'd do it. Ben was up here dancing wonderful this morning. But for followers of Christ, resurrection means more than just what happened to Jesus. We sang it this morning. Resurrection power runs in my veins too. For totally committed followers of Christ today, Easter and Resurrection Sunday, it's more than just what happened to Jesus. Because we also have experienced resurrection with him. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. If you are a totally committed follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you know what I'm saying. It's absolutely true. Here's what Paul told the Romans. For we died. No, he died. This is, this is all about, this was Good Friday. He died. No, no, wait, listen to Paul. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. How many have been baptized? Don't discount the power of it. Don't discount what the New Testament teaches about baptism. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Now that's worth dancing and shouting and running around. And You see, this is not only Christ's testimony, it's also my testimony. We read in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. Uh, how many have been baptized? I think I just asked that, but I'm just going to ask it again. Don't discount the power of your Christian baptism. For you were baptized with, for, for, I'm sorry, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins. How many know he was dead because of your sins too? Yeah. You were dead because of your sins, because your sinful nature had not yet been cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. You are dead deeply, intimately, personally connected to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Ha. Paul tells the Colossians in chapter 3. This is good. This is good stuff. I mean, we come around Easter and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, but every time we get together, we need to celebrate the resurrection of Jack and Joe and Jerry and Gemma. 
and Sonia. <laughs> I heard that. The redhead has spoken. <laughs> Listen to the New, text, the New Testament text. Since you, I'm reading from Colossians 3, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sight on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Family, you and I have been raised from the dead with him. We have been raised from the dead with him. Paul writes to the Ephesians, and he says in chapter 2, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead, we were dead. We were dead because of our sins. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead, from the dead, along with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus Christ. Every Christian experiences two resurrections. The first is present and spiritual. It's right here and it's right now. The second is future and physical. We live right now, spiritually raised, spiritually alive, and it's in the present and it's spiritual. But in a while, there's another resurrection. It's physical and it's future. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Verse 1, for we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in these present bodies. Oh, come on, somebody. And we long to put on heavenly bodies like new clothes. How many know sometimes it's just time to go out and buy some new clothes? And that's the longing that's in our heart. We just want to put on some new clothes. We grow weary in our present bodies. Man, it's aching and shaking and quaking and whew, gravity's working and oh my Lord. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing for we will put on heavenly bodies we who were dead in sins have been raised up with Christ and new life. Family, there is a resurrection in our future as well as in our present where Christ will raise us from the dead and we will have a body like his. Amen. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. He will take our weak, mortal, flabby bodies. I think that's in the Greek somewhere. And change them into glorious bodies like his own. Imagine Jack with a six-pack. 
He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Come on, team. I want to read this last scripture to you. Romans 8, you know, we were dead. We were dead. We were dead men walking. We were dead men driving Ferraris. We were dead men sailing sailboats. We were dead men flying on jets. We were dead. We were dead in our sins. We thought we were alive. We had the goods. We had the stuff. We had the credentials. We had the education. We had the business. We had, we were dead men walking. And then we come to Jesus Christ and all of a sudden he makes us alive and we come alive and our spirit is alive and we are born again and everything is made new and I don't even know myself anymore. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 10. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Resurrection power runs in my veins too. So Jesus is standing there, days, just hours, before he is crucified. He's standing in front of Lazarus' tomb. Martha's weeping. And Jesus explains to her, and he says, what we read now is the last of the seven I am's. In John eleven twenty five. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Let's stand together.